This episode of YXE Underground is sponsored by Hometown Diner. Located in Riversdale, this local restaurant is a go-to for breakfast and brunch. And my God, do they make great donuts. Thanks to the Hometown team for believing in the podcast. When I was first coming into this work, or even up to a couple of years ago, that self-care could be really self-soothing. Like, it's like, it'll be fine. Like, I'll go do yoga, and like, I'll, you know, read a book, and it's great. But there are definitely situations that I've seen that those things would not touch it. And it really comes down to, like, making sure that I, as a professional, keep myself accountable. So I have to be healthy, and I have to be sharp to provide the kind of services that are needed in this population. That's just a reality. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Julia Holiday-Scott from Aid Saskatoon. She is the feature guest in Episode 4, Season 2 of YXE Underground. The work being done by the Aid Saskatoon team is not only important for our community, but increasingly necessary. A story I read this week in the Star of Phoenix by Zach Vissera quoted a shocking statistic. In 2018, there was a new HIV case in Saskatchewan every 28 hours. That's more than twice the national average. Combine those numbers with the ongoing crystal meth crisis in Saskatoon, and you begin to see the vital role Aid Saskatoon plays in our community. Julia Holiday-Scott is the Support Services Coordinator for the organization, and I was blown away by her compassion and kindness towards our city's most vulnerable. I know you will be impressed with Julia's character as well. Welcome to the latest episode of YXE Underground. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, first of all, thank you. Second, the premise behind YXE Underground is to profile people who are making a difference in Saskatoon but are flying under the radar. 8 Saskatoon has not been underground in the past several months. The organization has been all over the news because it is creating Saskatchewan's first safe consumption site. This site has been years in the making and still has a ways to go before opening in the spring of 2020. But what I love is how Aid Saskatoon consulted with the community and kept people in the loop. A lot of people that are going into hospital for infections. So the two main infections that we see are abscesses. So that happens when you use the same site too much or you have dirty, uh, dirty equipment when you're injecting in a site. And so then it causes a growth to happen on their skin. And the infection can result in them potentially needing... Um, I tagged along on one of these tours led by Jason Mecredy, who's the executive director of AIDS Saskatoon and the point person for all the media attention. It was really interesting not only to learn more about the safe consumption site, but hearing the questions from those on the tour. Do they have to accept medical care beyond this if it's recommended? You know, is there any kind of thing that says... So, you mean, could we force them to go to the hospital? Uh, no, yeah, you can't force people to do anything, especially our folks. Uh, if they, it'll be pretty extreme if they have to go to the hospital. Um, so what they're all they're going to do in hospital is probably just give them oxygen until they they their vitals stabilize. Um, that's and that we, we we can do all of that here, and so we shouldn't be sending anybody to the hospital unless it's an extreme extreme circumstance like. We've had instances where people thought they're shooting up crystal meth and it turns out they're just shooting up like straight junk from under the sink. There's no crystal meth really in it. They're bath salts or whatever. And then that's an adverse reaction. It's not an overdose. It's, they've been literally poisoned. And so those folks we would have to send. So but, the standard 
Julia Holliday-Scott has been answering a lot of questions behind the scenes about the safe consumption site as well. Her role as support services coordinator encompasses a lot, which we cover in our interview. But the creation of this site has been a passion project. For Julia, it's an opportunity to make a positive and meaningful impact on the lives of people in need of help. I met Julia last month at Aid Saskatoon and we started in the space that will soon be the safe consumption site. I started our conversation by asking Julia how she feels standing in this space. It feels unreal. It feels like a lot of years of kind of work coming to culminating to like a manifest in like a real live possibility, like a real live building. So it feels amazing to actually be this close to opening up and being able to like offer the help that we've been working towards for so long. I want to get to the, the why this is needed in our community, but I, I want to know why you want it to be a part of all this. Oh, that's such a good question. I never thought, like in general for the work, I never thought of myself when I was in, my background is in psychology and social work. I never thought that I'd be doing this kind of job. I always wanted to be a, a counselor and then I took this job at Aid Saskatoon, my, my first kind of year out of school and I just fell in love with providing the kind of general basic care for people who aren't receiving it elsewhere in the community. So, and that kind of developed as I stayed with Aid Saskatoon, kept doing the work, saw the impact, not just on the one-on-one -on -one with people, but the impact of our like bigger advocacy projects. And I thought, you can make a real difference here. Like this is an agency that allows you to do bigger work and like impact a greater community. When you say the, the basic care isn't being met, like what, what, what does that mean exactly? I just mean that like we know that in Saskatchewan or in Saskatoon, we have a lot of people, we're, we're in a crystal meth crisis, we have an HIV crisis, and we don't have enough resources, you know, as a population to address all the basic needs. Beyond that, a lot of the people that I work with or that AIDS Saskatoon works with are, are banned from other services. So they can't go to a shelter or go to the city bus or what have you. So it's great to be able to invite those people in and, and start to build that rapport and that trust and, and try and connect them outward to other people. Oh, well, there's so many, there's so many questions I want to go um, and, and I'll, I'll get back to those, especially in terms of how you build trust. Mm -hmm. um, but, be, but because we're in this room and because you know, this, this building has been in the news so much and, and we... <laughs> Yep. How does that make you feel? Well, I mean, Jason's the front man, so yes. that's totally fine. I mean, like, I'm, I'm happy. I always used to joke that AIDS Saskatoon was uh, Saskatoon's, like, best-kept secret because nobody really knew what we provided. We've been around since 86, I think, and uh, no one really knew the kind of, like, scope of what our outreach teams did. And now that we're in the news, we're getting a ton of attention for the safe consumption side of it. And be, because we've been offering all these tours, we're bringing people in to ask questions, to see the space, we also get to tell them about all the other work that comes along with the agency. Um, and I was lucky enough to go on one of those tours, and it, it was it was a great tour. So, um, tell me why, Julia, this this building it, um, is is needed in our community. I think this building is needed at twofold. Number one, it's needed because. Crystal meth crisis is not going down. Every year we see like an increased number of people who are overdosing. We see increased usages in needle exchanges across the province. We see increases in HIV in Saskatchewan. So we know that this is not a problem that is like by any means slowing down. And we need to incorporate kind of like the entire continuum of care. And I think that safe consumption sites are part of that continuum to engage people, prevent death, and then stabilize beyond that. Okay. Um, so when, when someone, when, when this officially opens, can you... Can you sort of take me through, and, and like I, I'm just looking at, at sort of the layout of, of the room, can you maybe like walk a li our, our listeners through like what, what will happen here? Sure. 
Yeah, so we would start in the registration area. So right now, we this side of the building is locked down because we're still under construction and we don't have our staffing model up yet, but when it's open, this will be the front room is our administration registration area. So chairs will be where they are. You'll come through and you will register with a peer worker. In that registration, you will give us your name, you will give us what substances you think you're using and how you want to use those. So if you want to inject, ingest, um, smoke or snort, yeah. And then you'll be given a waiting number. You can either wait in that room, in our back patio area, or in the drop-in center. Well, after, the, after everything's filled, what, what happens next? Well, then they come into the consumption side of the room. Okay, so that's where we are right now. That's where we're standing, yeah. Okay. So depending on how you were going to consume the substances, you'll either be shown to a booth. We have seven of those. Uh, if you're going to smoke your substances, you'll go to the smoking room. We're the, the second site in Canada to have a safer smoking room, so we're very pumped on that. Second site? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, Lethbridge that's... has one currently, but the okay. reason a lot of the sites uh, don't have one because they, they are very expensive to build. It's about $30,000. You need a separate HVAC and air exchange, and it's a whole to do so because we had the opportunity to buy this building and then tear it down and gut it we really wanted to design it with this in mind yeah okay so yeah it, and it's sort of like like it, like cubicles in, in a way like um and and i noticed too like on the tour there's a wheelchair accessible mm -hmm. spot as well so um so someone comes here and they list in terms of how they want to ingest their drug mm -hmm. and then they will will they just come to one of these cubicles then and then like, do they just go ahead and do it then? Yeah, so what they have to do, they're bringing in their substance. We don't okay. provide any, I want to be very clear, because lots of people are asking, like, are you supplying any substances? No, we're not. But we are supplying all the paraphernalia. So you cannot bring in your own needles, your own pipes, your own ties, things like that. Everything is supplied at the med desk. So you're coming in, there's this kind of, you know, almost buffet style of, of different paraphernalia that you would come and pick up and use, depending on your mode of ingestion. And then you go to the booth, and you would in, consume your drugs. Yeah. Is it... And then, it, so, you know, the, the idea behind it, like safe consumption, there, there are people here to make sure that, that you're okay, the person's okay, right? Yes, there are two medical staff at all times, so the ratio is always one medical staff for four people using substances. Yeah. So we, we had the opportunity to go and look at a lot of different sites throughout Canada, and staffing models kind of vary. We thought that eight to, or I guess one to four, or eight to two, were the best practice, and that's what we're going with. What did you? What else did you learn when you when you were going across the country? You're you're smiling right now. Oh, there's just so much. I yeah. mean, like there's so many different models of, of what people are doing. There's a lot of really cool initiatives out there. A lot of peer work um, that's happening. That's really exciting. Um, I think that what we learned is that there's a need for this, and that the communities tend to fill that need, if that makes sense. And it's it's really important for any community that's going to be starting an initiative like this not to look to your neighbors and copy them exactly because every community is different and you have to make sure that the people who are in your community are going to access the services for their needs. Okay so then how do you how, how tricky of a balance then is it to not only you're you're kind of you're observing and you're touring and you're almost like picking the, the best from different places but yet you've got to cater it to to Saskatoon, how how tricky is that to balance? I think, I mean, it's it's tricky in the sense that you have to be aware to like consider both sides because there's certain things for the federal exemption that we have to have in place, you know, that are just like part of the build itself. But when it comes to working with people, when it comes to building that trust and rapport that we talked about earlier, that's really like you, you need to be consulting the people who would be accessing the space and not telling them what they need, but asking them what would make this. So we did like years of drug user surveys up at our Mayfair location and asked people, you know, where would you like, you know, would you like, first off, would you use a safe consumption site? If so, where would you like it? You know, what would you like that to look like? Things like that. Yeah. So this has been years and years in, in the making. Like, does that, if at, you know, at any point did you, 
did you think like, oh, is this ever going to happen? Or did you know, like, because I, I think of myself in terms of, you know, when I work on a larger project, mm -hmm. it might be like two or three months, but this was, this was years. I, I personally, like, I, I always knew that this would come to Saskatoon eventually. I didn't know if I would still be working in Saskatoon when that happened, if that makes any sense. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it, it all depended a lot on just... Well, you know, there's so many moving pieces to these kinds of things. Finding a building, you know, doing these consultations, all that stuff. I'm very happy that I get to be a part of this project in the way that I am because I really believe in it. And I am so happy that I, you know, haven't left yet. <laughs> I get to actually, like, see it come from this, like, idea, you know, around a desk to, like, a full fruition dream, you know? Yeah. Um, when, when, I was, when I was talking to some, some friends in the last few days, because I, I was really excited to, to speak with you because um, you come very highly recommended. And I just had so many questions, not only about the, the site, but the work that you do. Um, but the, the, the feedback I was getting from friends is, uh, you know, like they, they just can't believe that something like this, this safe consumption site is, is necessary in a way. And then, like, it, when you hear that from people or members of the community that are, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but just it's it's like over their head or, or I don't know, like just hard to wrap their minds around it. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Um, like how, how does that make you feel and then how do you respond to that? I mean, I don't, a lot of people think that I would be angry or that I would be frustrated and, and I'm not because I, I completely understand that like these are issues that it's very easy and we've built a system like, and you know, in our society that it's very easy to ignore the problems that come around this demographic. So it's very easy to ignore poverty or to kind of like, you know, side eye addiction or, or whatever it is. And those are really the core things that we deal with here is the trauma that brings people to using substances, that brings people to using a site like this. So, I mean, it, it doesn't make me upset. I think that what I, what we try to do as an agency, what I try to do as a person is have a conversation and to invite the idea of come down and meet us, you know, call us, ask us questions. Like we, we really have done a lot of research on this. We really believe in like building the rapport and working harm reductively to the point where like we invite you to come and like ask us questions, look at the space. We we want to hear your concerns. When when you invite people down, and I think too like with the public tours, that was such a great idea because you know if people are thinking, oh, you know, what's what's this all about or whatever. Well, hey, come down and ask us. Um, that's very refreshing because <laughs> there's just so many agencies where or you know things that. We're going to put up a wall and we're just going to not share with the public, but th that, that's on purpose on you guys. Yeah, well, I think that like doing the doing the siloing or like putting that wall up, it really does like increase this like weird dichotomy about this like us versus them, you know, and like really when we look at, you know, addiction, crystal meth, HIV, overdoses, all of those things, that's not a certain side of the city issue. That's a Saskatoon issue. That's a, that's a community issue. And everybody in Saskatoon should have the ability to voice their concerns and have a dis discourse about that, you know? I think that it's more important, like the fact that we work so closely with police and fire and emergency services, that's a great example of how we don't want to put walls up. They're probably one of our greatest community partners. We want that for the entire city. And and then I, I just saw the city council approved to have some more police officers here. Like that that's good news then. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we we fully support the new officers. We we know that like the Saskatoon City Police have been understaffed for a while, and this is fantastic. It doesn't quite put them up to. I think that there's still a few officers short of the national average, but it's definitely going to help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you were talking about about trust and, and building trust with with people that come here. Um, how this is a big question, but how, how, do you, how do you begin to build that trust, especially when you have people from all walks of life? Like you said, it's not just a community problem. It's a, it's a Saskatoon problem, and it's people that have experienced trauma at some point in their lives. So how do you begin to build trust? 
The biggest thing we do is that we don't have agendas. And by that, I mean that like you don't need to click a box or like have a certain demographic. So anybody who wants to access my services through support services or Kayla's program for, through family support can come into the drop-in center, can talk with staff. We don't require anything of you. So that is a huge point of, of starting with that like building rapport and relationship is letting people come to you when they want to instead of forcing them to engage with a certain issue. That's interesting because like, like you said, there's, there's no agenda on your part. So hopefully people aren't intimidated when they come and speak with you because you're, you're a very kind individual. But I, I imagine like there, there must be some trepidation a, a bit in terms of people coming. Like from the pause to come into the office? Yeah. Or? Or, or yeah, like just, you know, to, to take that step like, okay, I need some help to come. See, and that's the thing is that a lot of times um, people are told how they have to access the service. So it's like, yes, you can go into the walk-in counseling, but you have to go and talk to a counselor and you have to then do X, Y, and Z. Right. Whereas this is a space where they can just come with their friends and have a cup of coffee. And even if my social work brain is going like, oh man, like you need housing, I should help you with your mental health, or like I, like, I really should help you with your physical stuff going on. If they're not ready to access that, they're getting no pressure from me. If and when they're ready to address those issues, I will move mountains for anybody who comes into my office, but when they are ready. Wow. That's, I find that so fascinating because, like you said, the social work part of your brain, is it hard to not ignore that part, but to <laughs> suppress that? I think I had like this moment, because I was fresh out of school when I started working here, you know, I was like a little baby social worker. How, how long have you worked here? Uh, four and a half years. Yeah, so this was like my, I finished my practicum, my major practicum on a Friday, and I started working at support services on a Monday, like that, so I had a weekend off, and I definitely hit this point probably about three or four months in, where I realized a couple things. Number one is that the practical application of social work is very different than what I thought it would be, and like working with people is different than learning about a theory in a book and what have you, and, and working with this population requires a very different approach than what I thought I would employ. Can, uh, I, I just want to interrupt you because um, I, I feel like there's, you could share so many stories, but is, is, there, is there one maybe story or anecdote that, that you could share that really was an eye-opening moment for you in those first three or four months where, where you realize, okay, that it's one thing to learn in a textbook, but it's another out here in the real world? Yeah, absolutely. It was actually kind of what I was saying about before. So I was probably like two months in. Uh, Jason, who is now our executive director, was like the support services coordinator at the time. And, you know, this woman came in. I was the only woman in the department, so I tended to get a lot of the sexual assaults and, and the DV or domestic violence cases. They just wanted to speak to a woman. So a woman came in. She had, you know, a domestic violence incident the night before, and she rattled off all this information. And in my mind, I'm like already prioritizing. I'm like, okay, got it. Check. Yes, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. At the end, of it she just stands up and says thanks for listening and just walked out of the office and I was like oh god and I like got up to go run after her and I was like no wait I'll help you and you know Jason's like no I mean like she will ask you like you know you've offered that's good but like she'll come back if she wants that right now what she needed from you was like to listen non-judgmentally and I that was a mind-blowing I was like okay, no, that is social work, right, right. This is, this is still a service, even though we're not, well, I think a lot of us are task-oriented or goal-oriented, and uh, learning to build that in is that, like, treating people with dignity, respect, and, and trusting them as being, like, the expert in their own life, that is part of working. That is, like, a huge part of working. You're listening to episode four of season two of YXC Underground. I'm Eric Anderson, and I'm speaking with Julia Holiday scott of AIDS Saskatoon. 
You can subscribe for free to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Stream episodes for free on the website, yxcunderground.com, or on Spotify. If you know of anyone who is making a difference in Saskatoon but is flying under the radar, let me know. You can find YXC Underground on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or send me an email, ericandersonyxe at gmail.com. This episode is sponsored by Hometown Diner, which is a fantastic local restaurant on 20th Street that serves a delicious breakfast and brunch and is one of the most unique decors in the city. I also want to mention that a special bonus episode of YXC Underground dropped last week. It's a 12-minute episode featuring Lauren Chronic from AIDS Saskatoon, and we focus on the importance of HIV testing while I undergo an HIV test. It was a really incredible learning experience for myself, and I really hope you have a chance to listen to it. The work that Julia does requires a lot of empathy and compassion. As you heard in the first part of our conversation, Julia puts her heart into everything she does. But that got me thinking, how does she cope with those harder days? What happens if her compassion levels are are running a bit low? We moved into Julia's cozy office for this part of our conversation, and I asked her how she handles tough days. I think that no matter where you work or what your work environment's like, you can learn something from what Julia has to say. That is a big question. Yeah, we we do go into and see a lot of situations that, again, like thinking back to what I thought I would be doing or what I expected out of social work. We're going into very real situations that can be really raw, sometimes a bit dangerous. Um, I think for me, the idea of like, what is that? Like self-care, like the term is thrown around so much, you know, what do you do for self-care? Um, I had this idea when I was first coming into this work or even up to a couple of years ago that self-care could be really self-soothing. Like it's like, it'll be fine. Like I'll go do yoga and like I'll, you know, read a book and it's great. But there are definitely situations that I've seen that those things would not touch it. And it really comes down to like making sure that I as a professional keep myself accountable. So I have to be healthy and I have to be sharp to provide the kind of services that are needed in this population. That's just a reality. I should not be coming into work if my head's not in the game because the situations are very real and like the decisions I have to make are, are kind of real time and very quick. So part of the self-care is making sure that I'm healthy and being able to provide that service. The other part is that accountability piece, talking to the staff, debriefing, being able to double check the work that you've done and, and kind of process through in a healthy way. I'm very lucky. Aid Saskatoon is exceedingly supportive when it comes to mental health. They really, really, like they provide free counseling, uh, mental health days, like we not only encourage, but like require staff to take self-care seriously and, and like in a very real way, because what you are engaging with is so potentially damaging. Um, when, when you, when you do have those days, um, where, where they are, they are challenging for you, how do you, um, how, how do you deal with those days? How do you I don't know if cope's the right word, but maybe process everything. I mean, everyone's a bit different. For me, I'm, I'm a task, like, as much as we were just talking about, like, don't be a task person, like, I'm, I'm definitely a task person. So I think that that's why I fit well in this job, is that, like, there's always something to advocate for, someone to advocate for. I have no shortage of things to focus on and things to so like when I'm at work it's easy for me because I can easily pick up like a situation I can like dive into a different you know I'll help you get on income assistance and I'll help you get housed and I'll do this training and I'll do that I think um 
for me, I, I try very hard when I go home to process that stuff at home because it's it's much more of a trying to figure out where you fit in the grand continuum. You see, and I honestly believe this, the absolute best of humanity in this job, in this work, and the absolute worst of humanity. Well, first of all, that I think that's the first time in two seasons that someone's used grand continuum in the podcast. <laughs> but I, I, I love that because it's so true because you're right. You see the, be- the best and the worst. Mm-hmm. So when you... I was thinking I was about to ask if you take your work home with you, but obviously you do in a, in a way. But so then if you see the best and the worst and then you, you take it home, what, what do you, what do you think about when you're at home? <laughs> I mean, like I take it home in the sense that I, I don't think it's possible to turn off, like, I mean, to turn off your emotions. Right. So, and like the things you see and everyone has their own little areas and we like the longer we work here, the more that like our like staff can help us and know like, okay, you know, maybe Julie is not good going into this type of situation, or we know that that's going to hit her a bit harder due to my own trauma, my own past, my own biases. Right. Um, I think that it's important to remember that we're people, like we're not just like social work machines, you know, or like, like we're going to, this is going to hurt us sometimes. Um, but you have to look at the grand scheme of like, what is, what are you doing in the work and know when it's okay to leave. This is the first time I think I've ever heard an agency encourage staff to think about what's going to happen after. No one can do frontline work forever. Very few people can make a career doing frontline work like this because it is grueling. <laughs> do you do you feel the the grind at all? Like, like, it, you know, daily or like, you know, do you ever have those days where it's like, oh, I'm like, I'm getting near the end on the on the front line? Yeah, I think that like the idea of there's different ways to burn out. I think that it's almost like if we think about depression, like there's like situational depression and there's like clinical depression. I think that burnout's really similar. That like sometimes, you know, you need to be able to like, you know, build in good habits, like very simple habits that sound kind of pedantic, but like bear with me. Things like drinking enough water and things like taking your lunch breaks and things like, you know, you're not going to take your reporting home with you because you have to be a fully functioning human with a social life. You know, those good habits can build in. I think that sometimes the situational burnout is if you've had a particularly bad week or couple months, a lot of like a string of deaths or, or a really hard trauma or whatever it is, sometimes that that can build up. That's a good time for you to maybe take a professional development day, do a webinar, you know, or take a vacation. I do think that the longer term burnout is when you're not keeping stock of the, you know, situational stuff. Wow. You, you, I, you explain things so well. Um, and, and when you're explaining things to like you, you're answering questions <laughs> that I'm already thinking of in my, in my mind. No, this is great fa- uh, speaking with you. And, um, I'm just thinking too, you must have a lot of trust in your team here at 8 Saskatoon in terms of like when you have those those times that you need to talk that they're that they're there to listen to you and and know that that they have your back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the and it's a fine line too because like we we need to be able to debrief when we need to be able to. If that makes sense. It has to be prioritized by the staff. You should also have that trust with your team that you can go to anybody. I don't have to go to just one person. I can go to anybody and just say I just need to talk for 5 minutes. But it also needs to be built into the culture which we do really well here is that we're also not each other's counselors. We can't be. You know, you do have to take charge of your own mental health and your own self-care outside of work to be a healthy person. You know, build in those good habits have a therapist or a counselor or you know if you're a spiritual person go to church or pray or whatever it is for you like everyone has a different outlet but like make sure you're engaging with that when you're not working thank you for explaining that because i i i was genuinely curious in terms of because because i think the the work that you do is is so important but like you said you have those challenging days I i was just really curious how you how you process that and how you deal with that so thank you um 
through this process of, of getting the safe consumption site, like you, mm-hmm. you, you and your organization, you've had to to speak with you know people of all levels of you know in terms of government and politicians and stuff like that. Um, do you feel like your your voice is being heard by by these people that that are in control in, in terms of you know providing money and, and grants and all this kind of stuff? Like, are, are, do you feel like you're being heard? I do. I mean, I absolutely do. I think that like the fact that we've been getting such like a positive response from the community is amazing. I think that it's, you know, we were all, well, I can't speak for everybody, but like I was wondering how it was going to be received by people. Like it's big and it, and it is like, I think that people can maybe build it up to be something different than it is in its mind, you know, like that, what is a safe consumption site? What does it look like? You know, when you walk in, a lot of people have said like, oh, it's colorful and like bright and like homey and like, yeah, I don't know what you were imagining, but you know, I think that having people coming in to see the space has been amazing. I think that we have a ton of support from, I mean, those higher kind of people up that you were talking about. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to run these services we currently run, you know, like we've been operating for decades. Julia, where where does where does all this energy and passion come from? Like where where like has this always been like when you were a kid? Like in terms of like you know wanting to you know maybe social justice or or just being kind to one another or like because you strike me as such an empathetic person, which I really I really admire, and I think the world needs a lot more empathy out there. I think it'd be a better place out there. But like has has this always been who you were or like was there ever like a turning point or whatever? I, I've, I don't know. I think that I've grown into it a lot. Okay. You know, I think that like there's always that, you know, growing up that I, you know, my, my mom's openly gay. We grew up in a small town in northern Saskatchewan. So there was always this kind of seeing people treat her poorly based on something that like in my mind wasn't a signifier of who she was as a person. I think that that's part of it. I think that just, you know. Uh, being part of certain groups and movements and having different friends throughout my life, that's been kind of fueling that fire. I fell into this work. This was not the plan. But like, I I really fell in love with it when I started to work with this population and work in this kind of advocate role. And I think that I just like fell into what I was supposed to do. What was the plan? (laughs) My my base plan? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I have a degree in psychology and I have a degree in social work. And my plan was to find a job, any job, for two years, go back, get my master's in counseling, and then open a counseling practice. And that's what I was going to do almost five years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> clearly that plan is not really panned out. But like, this is exactly, I think I'm doing exactly what I, I'm supposed to be doing. And I would not leave for anything. Okay. So, but earlier on, you said that you were very task oriented. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, I, I'm like, this is off task in terms of your off your base plan. Like at, at any point when you were falling in love with this did you think like oh gosh like what what's going on no not at all it just completely it's like somebody had like taken the blinders off and I was like wow there's so much more to this work and like there's so many different roads and avenues that I could take and I had no idea they even existed and it was just that like this was you just I I don't know have you did you always know that this is what you wanted to do oh gosh no I (laughs) I got a history degree yes in 2004 and it's like and then I and then I was a high school teacher for two years Mm -hmm. And then I was a journalist with CBC and got a journalism degree. And now I work at a long-term care home, and I love it at Sherbrooke. So you're you're right. Um, yeah. I, I, I love the visual, though, about, like, taking off the blinders. Mm-hmm. And for those of you listening right now, Julia actually, like, with her hands, removed the blinders. But, like, that's that must have been so, like, interesting for you to, like, just see there's there's so much out there beyond what what you thought you were going to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that like a part of me never thought, and, and a lot of this is trial and error. I don't think that you can 
ever really know how you're going to be in the front line, like this kind of work in, a, in an emergency situation until you actually do it. Because I've seen a lot of people who like, my mom was a paramedic. Um, so like a lot of people who have like trained to go do paramedic work or, or like akin kind of emergency response work, and then they get in the field and they just freeze, right? Um, I think that you really have to give it a shot. Frontline work is not for everybody, but I just, I feel like I just kind of found that niche. I found that thing that just like, I love coming to work every day. I believe in this work. It's, it's not that I have to like drag myself into the office. This is something I, I believe in. Yeah. Um, Jessica Fisher, who has been on this podcast, she, she's the one that recommended you for this podcast. And I'm so glad that she did because it's it's just been absolutely fascinating um speaking with you i feel like i i feel like you are this positive hurricane of like goodness and force and like it's um because at times it's just like like you you yeah you you know what you want and you know kind of what your goals are but and for this organization too and you're you're just gonna do it damn it aren't you (laughs) i'm gonna try i mean like i i think that i I love Jessica. We actually went to like school together, which is where we met. Yeah, in social work. But I think that uh, I don't know. I think that like this, I'm very lucky to have learned from the people I've learned from in this job. Like I like they taught me how to do harm reduction work. Like Kayla and Jason absolutely like showed me what that really means. As far as like I got out of my head of like what I thought it meant on paper, and and I'll be forever grateful for that because I feel like you can be a harm reduction worker in anywhere that you work. It's about how you interact with people. It's not about the programming you provide. And so now, no matter where I go beyond this, I, you know, I'll always have that kind of framework, that base. Yeah. Two more questions for you. Yeah. Um, with working with people, what, what have you learned um, most about people from working in this, in this job? Like from most about people in general? Yeah. Honestly, I think that I've learned to, to take away all expectations of any kind like to stop trying to does that make any sense like when you you quoted me back to be task oriented and I thought like I stopped making five-year plans and I stopped assuming anything because you know the people that I would see come into the needle exchange are are folks that there is no one kind of archetype or or any kind of narrative that you can build around you can't make any assumption about where people have been where they're going what their skills are I've seen people who've come in in absolute psychosis and they're you know the you know a trained opera singer or like whatever it is like there's so much depth to people that like we just need to like give them room to show us that is that like a flowery open answer i don't know no, how to that was, say that was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and la- last question for you the the day that this site opens um wh- what is that going to mean to you oh god i don't know that what does it mean to me i i think it means that we're taking a massive step in the right direction toward increasing the level of care for the most vulnerable people in our city. When I talk about building programs, um, I think that you need to look at the people who are currently falling between the gaps of the existing systems, the existing programs, and those are the people that are accessing here. Um, So I think that it takes a major step in the right direction. I also really hope that the people that are not even on our radar, at like a very low barrier agency, the people who aren't even coming to us will start coming to us. And we'll start to be able to increase that Kind of connection and and refer them outward i think those new people that come here um and if they have the opportunity to meet you are going to be um they'll be lucky people to meet you um yeah i feel very privileged to have spoken with you thank you thank you my thanks to julia holiday scott for sharing her time and insights with me and i can't wait to catch up with her once the safe consumption site opens
This has been episode four of season two of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I'm the host, creator, and editor of this podcast. If you like what you've just heard, please subscribe for free to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review if you have time, and you can stream episodes on Spotify or the website yxeunderground.com, and that's where you can find all of the stories of all the amazing people who have shared their insights and their stories on YXE Underground. If there is a person out there who is making a difference in Saskatoon but is flying under the radar, please let me know. Eric Anderson, yxe at gmail.com is the email address. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you can see photos of Julia taken by Janelle Wallace. There are some photos inside the, uh, the safe conception site that are just really striking. And so I want to thank Janelle, as always, for all of her help. Thank you to my cousin Andrew Dixon for creating the original music for this podcast and to the good folks at Danger Dynamite for keeping the website looking sharp. This episode has been sponsored by Hometown Diner and if you are looking for uh, a great breakfast or a great brunch in the city in a really cool atmosphere, you should check out Hometown Diner and a big thanks to Blair and Brad for supporting the podcast. Don't forget to check out last week's bonus episode featuring Lauren Chronic from Aid Saskatoon where we discuss HIV testing while I receive an HIV test. And before I go, I would like to acknowledge that all of the interviews and music for this episode were recorded on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Have a wonderful holiday season, everybody. A happy new year, and we'll talk to you in 2020, Saskatoon.